want to welcome those of you who are joining us by way of video this morning or this afternoon or evening whenever you happen to see this video we're glad to have you with us we just sang the worship song i need you eddie james and others it's a heart-wrenching cry it is a crying out for a god who has the power to do something about the circumstances in our lives and we often find ourselves there. I don't think there's a one of us here today that has not had an experience where you wish you could dial back time, right? You wish you could just do it over again. If you could just dial back that moment, dial back that, that comment you made, dial back that decision you were involved in, there are a number of things that bring about regret in our lives or, or just a deep desire to change the way things turned out. And the only way we could change the way things turned out was if we had done differently what we did or what we said or how we chose. That's the way it feels. Now, if you're a parent, I suspect... Let me say that again, not a parent, but a parent. If you are a parent, if you have had the experience of parenting children, I'm going to guess that you understand very well what it's like to have said something, or to have done something, or to have made a decision that had far-reaching effects later in life that you didn't intend something that happened that can be traced back to your actions, your words, your decision that has had what you consider grave consequences and oh would you like to take it back and change it. There are stories like that in the scripture. It's not just a collection of do this and do that. There's stories in scripture of people who identify people who have been down the road that we travel. And it's helpful sometimes to remember some of these stories, and I want to bring to mind one that's maybe familiar to you this morning. I want to speak about the king, we call him King David, king of Israel, from once upon a time, a very important, a key figure really in the life of, of Israel. We're in 2 Samuel this morning, if you want to turn there, in particular to chapter uh, 18, 2 Samuel 18. I'll give you a few minutes to turn there, but while you're doing so, I want to talk a little bit about David. David very much understood this. He was a parent, a parent of several different children. But before the children came along, David did what, what is probably his most recognizable or well-known deed. Matter of fact, two sides to that coin, two sides to that deed. You may remember that in his position of king with basically unlimited power, in a time when his army was out in the field fighting wars and he was at home where he shouldn't have been, he took advantage of the fact that one of his soldiers' wives, who was in his vision out from his palace, was very attractive, Bathsheba. You know the story, perhaps. David had her brought to the palace. 
and conceived a child with her. Now, he didn't know at the moment that he was conceiving a child, but that was the action that he got involved in. And to cover it up, because that's what we do, right? To cover it up, he designed and orchestrated this very sinister plan to have her husband killed on the battlefield. It's a heart-wrenching story. It is a, a story, an event, that I'm sure David would take back if he could have. Because the impact was profound. Now we know, we know perhaps the immediate impact, not only has he committed adultery, but then murder. But then it just keeps going because the first child born, the child that was conceived, died. He was in fact told of his error, of his crime, of his very immoral act, his waywardness. And he wept bitterly before the Lord. He knew in his heart he was responsible. I've probably said enough about that now, but I hope you're able to go with me in your imagination to what it would be like to have done what he did and then to see the first fallout of his actions, his indulgence, self-indulgence, and his abuse of power. Hang on to those two things. Self-indulgence, our pursuit of that, and our abuse of power. That's probably the most well-known. But if you continue the story of David and you get into 2 Samuel, you find out that there were far more fallouts, if I can say it that way, far more results that occurred because of what took place. See, David had other children. One of those was Ammon. One of those was Tamar. One of those was Absalom. And I mentioned those three to you this morning because the stories, the story that takes place and the multiple facets from chronicled in the, in the book recorded from 2 Samuel chapter 13 all the way through 20. We're going to stop at 18 this morning. But those chapters capture this, this occurrence of David's indulgence, self-indulgence and power, abuse of power playing out in the lives of his children. Ammon he loved. Ammon, one of his sons, David loved. And Ammon, in his own desire to fulfill his self-indulgence, raped his sister. And in response to the rape of Tamar, her brother Absalom became furious with Ammon. Not unheard of, right? These are the things that occur in these indiscretions. Absalom in his heart begins to wage war against his brother. A war that would continue on until he killed him. And in his killing, Absalom killing Ammon, he fled. He fled his father. He fled his king. And in his fleeing, he would eventually set up or attempt to his own kingdom. 
He would attempt to overthrow the kingdom in which he lived and his father reigned. Do you see what's beginning? And I'm just hitting the surface of this story. The father's sin, the father's adultery and murder leads to more sin, sexual sin, and more abuse of power. Murder and so on. It's a horrendous story. It's a heartbreaking story. It's a family wrecking and racking story. And it goes on from there. But we're going to look at that just for a moment this morning because David didn't stop being the father. David continued being the father even though all these wayward acts were occurring and all this pain and agony was occurring. David still felt in his heart the love for his children. Even to the point that his son Absalom, who had killed one of the other sons, who had raped one of the daughters, is now waging war against him, and he's fleeing for his life, David the king. His son Absalom was effective enough at, at casting his power around the people that he lived with that they began to support him. And a power rose up against David, and David had to flee his own kingdom. What plays out is that in this warring between father and son, literal warring, David tells his own army, if you find him, don't kill him. Be gentle to him. Can you feel the love of this father? Imagine what he has faced in his own life and the life now of his, the lives of his children, and yet he still loves him and says, don't kill him. But sometimes there's collateral damage. Collateral damage not in his own family, but how about the generals and the other officials, the other citizens loyal and faithful to David? They too are experiencing the fallout of all of this family sin. And some of them don't want any part of what's going on between David and his son. And in fact, when his general Joab has an opportunity and he encounters Absalom after a, an unfortunate, maybe a coincidental occurrence where Absalom's mule or horse running along and Absalom's long hair gets caught in the tree and he's hanging there, his men have an opportunity to get to him. Not his men, Joab's men, David's men. They have an opportunity to get to him and they take him out. Because in their minds, this is the enemy. This is the one who's coming against us. And our story and our scripture this morning, first set of scriptures in, is in 2 Samuel 18, at the very end of it. When news has been brought to David that his son is dead, Verse 32, the king asked the Cushite, is the young man Absalom safe? The Cushite replied, may the enemies of my lord the king, meaning David, you, David, my king, whom I am loyal to you, who I am faithful to in, in carrying out the work of your kingdom, who I am infuriated because of this son of yours that has come against you. May the enemies 
of my Lord the King and all who rise up to harm you. Be like that young man. The king was shaken. He knew what was being told to him. And he went up to the room over the gateway and wept. As he went, he said, Oh, my son, Absalom. My son, my son, Absalom. If only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. The effects of our words and our actions and our decisions have ongoing effect. Not just in our lives, but in the lives of others. And I know you know that. Without having to ask, I know you know that. Because you're just like I am. A human that deals with temptation to be selfish and self-centered and pursue what's good for me. And it has a cost. We can look around our country right now and see it happening all over the place. In any group of people, any institution you want to choose, we see people indulging for themselves. We see a variety of misuses of power. And so that anybody out there in a, in a position of power other than the church doesn't, doesn't misunderstand me, as I've said before, let me acknowledge right up front, unfortunately, I didn't say that with enough power in it. I'm grieved and I'm embarrassed at our, those of us who are pastors, priests, etc., our leadership down the road of self-indulgence and abuse of power has led to all kinds of negative, fateful impact on multiple people. You know what I'm talking about. This is not new news. It's over and over in our society. And I suspect right now, whoever you are, wherever you're spending your time, you're wrestling with some of the fallout. If not in your family, at your workplace, friends of yours, etc. Who of us is immune to the fallout of someone's pursuit of their own self-indulgence and abuse of power? I want to invite you to turn over to Psalm 130 this morning. Psalm 130. <coughs> Whoever wrote Psalm 130 must have identified painfully with what we're talking about this morning. Listen to what the writer of Psalm 130 has written. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. Out of the depths I cry to you. We're not talking about just, man, I've had a tough time. We're talking about agony, 
talking about misery that this writer is speaking of. Out of the deep depths as if you had lost a son or a daughter, as if you had seen a, an impact, the impact of something you did on multiple people. Maybe not just a death, maybe loss of employment. Maybe wrecked relationships down the line because of something that took place in your life in an example you said or an example you didn't set. Maybe some errant action of your own that you never imagined would have impacted anybody else, certainly not your children or, or any that follow you, would have grave impact on their lives. Again, we're seeing this all over our society these days. This is what is represented in this cry out of the depths of witnessing what has taken place. The ongoing fallout. Out of this, Lord, I cry to you. I cry for mercy. But then this. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? There's an acknowledgement by one who actually knows God. This is not someone from a distance. This is one who must know God intimately and knows that this God that he speaks to, this God of Israel, this God of our faith from the beginning is not just a distant power-hungry judge who says, well, you did it, live with it. He cries himself. He experiences the agony of everything we do that's outside of his word, outside of his way, outside of his will. And he forgives sin for those who come to him and ask for mercy and confess and repent. Because if he didn't, as the psalmist writes, who of us could stand? None of us. Not a single one of us. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. So that we the people that are yours, the people who relate to you, the people who have committed ourselves to you, the people you have made a way for, if so that we, by being forgiven by you, we with reverence can serve you. You have released us from this guilt. You have released us from this agony of pain in order to serve you. Now it doesn't change the consequences. What has happened has happened. And you know as well as I do. But we, that just doesn't undo all of what has already occurred. But this writer has experienced firsthand What it means to be released of that guilt. Released. To be able to move forward. And start again. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. 
And in His Word, I put my hope. The Word that says, if you confess your sins, you will be forgiven. If you come to Me, the Lord says, and confess your sins and repent and earnestly want to go a different way, I will forgive your sins and cleanse you and help you. <clears throat> this is the Lord the writer is addressing. And he says, I wait. I wait not just hoping, but I wait with hope, confident hope. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and, in, and with Him is full redemption. This one who has experienced such grave agony and can't do a thing about it has knowledge firsthand of a real God who forgives, of a real God who has the power to cleanse and start new. Whatever we have faced, whatever we are facing, whatever we're dealing with, nothing is beyond His power to to restart us. Nothing is beyond His ability to cleanse and put us on a path toward hope and put us on a path toward full redemption. This is what He waits on. But He waits with a confident knowledge that this is the God He prays to. The God who has the power and the desire and the will to bring it about. Oh, how I wish it had been me, David said. I wish I had died in your place. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if it was your own child or someone you dearly love who had experienced this fallout and it had cost them everything? Can you imagine that feeling? Can you feel it? Can you hear and feel the heart cry? Oh, God, I wish it had been me. Friends, this is the good news. The God of all creation, the one who gives us the actual, real authority to call Him Father as His children, he too felt that kind of pain for us. In all of what we have done, His love continued just like David's did. And He looks down from a place of goodness and truth and pure and holy and righteousness. And He says to us, I love you so much. But in this case, not I wish it was me. I'll do it for you. I'll take that death upon my shoulders. It's a story unlike any other. 
It's a story that Christians supposedly know and speak to each other all the time, but it never loses its appeal. It never loses its power because it never loses the ongoing invitation given to us with the real confident hope that He can change us no matter what we've done or where we've been. Ever. Even if you rolled it all up. Sin on top of sin on top of sin. Adultery on top of murder on top of rape on top of murder on top of murder. All rolled up, it's not enough to exceed the love of God for us and His desire to redeem us, to rescue us, to give us new life, and to empower us to live a new life free from that guilt. Promise that someday we will be with Him in glory. What an amazing story. What an amazing turnaround from such deep agony to such hope for such a beautiful life. I don't know what you're dealing with today. I don't know what frustrates you, what makes you mad. I don't know what guilt you may be carrying that maybe you don't share with anybody else. But I know me. I know my life. And I know those things that I've never told anyone else. And I know the fallout. Because I still live with it. And I'm guessing you know what I'm talking about. Not maybe in my life. I'm guessing you can identify. I'm guessing there is something in you that is holding you back. That is keeping you from stepping into what God really wants for you. I'm guessing there's something in you that has kept you from being able to live in the freedom that He so wants you to have. I'm guessing that there is something you can relate to in yourself or someone you love. Maybe you are the one that is affected by the fallout of one who came before you. <clears throat> Friends, it's not just a made-up story. It's not just a good principle. It's not just a teaching of the church to say, hey, we can be different. It is a truth offered to anybody who will accept it. Anybody, anywhere, at any time. And even if you've accepted it before and then found yourself back in the unimaginable, it's still offered to you. With the same hope and the same freedom and the same promise that your tomorrow can be different than your yesterday. That is a guarantee for anyone who will receive 
the one who didn't just say, I wish it had been me instead of you, but took it on himself for us. What a message we have. What a message we have. What a message of hope for us, for me, for you. What a message for our kids. What a message for our neighbors. What a message for our parents. What a message for our co-workers. What a message for our friends. This message is true and it's been proven over and over and over. And I can tell you, I'm living proof of it. I'm living proof of it. This God died for me. And even though the consequences didn't change, I'm free to live a new life. And He gives me the power to do it. Friends, He wants you to have this. Even if you've already had it before, He wants you to have it again. And He wants you to take this message forward. And He wants you to share it with others. It's a powerful message. It's a message of saying, God, do it again. Not the death for me, but do it again. Give me this. Remind me of the truth of your message and work this redeeming hope in me again. But not just in me, Lord. Get this message out to everybody who needs it. And oh Lord, does our country need it right now. Oh Lord, do my friends and neighbors need it. Oh Lord, does my family need this. Oh Lord, does my country need this message of hope. Empower us to take this message forward. And share it. It's good news. Praise be to the God who loves us this much. The God who is good and faithful. We worship you, Lord. We worship you. Lord, if you kept a record of sins, who of us could stand? But with you there is forgiveness.